0: Let's turn our Bibles, first of all, to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Then we're going to go over to Acts, chapter 1, Matthew, chapter 3, and then Acts, chapter 1. Appreciate that presentation. And, uh, you know, there's a big movement today on for the 1040 window, has been for the last couple years, in sending missionaries to those places. And I've heard a lot of the arguments for sending missionaries only to the 1040 window. The only problem is this. If God calls a person... To a village in Alaska, he's got no business in the 1040 window. Isn't that right? God knows where he wants the gospel spread to, and he calls people to meet those needs. Every soul counts for God. Uh, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're at. Notice verse 7. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, "'Bring forth, therefore, fruits, meet for repentance. "'And think not to say within yourselves, "'We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you, "'that God is able of these stones "'to raise up children unto Abraham. "'And now also the axe is laid under the root of the trees. "'Therefore, every tree which bringeth, forth not, which bringeth not forth good fruit "'is hewn down and cast into the fire. "'I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance.' But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Again in verse 11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I. Whose shoes I am not worthy to bear, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, turn over to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Notice beginning in verse 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I want to preach on baptism with fire tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus as we get into the scripture. I pray, first of all, the Spirit of God will teach us the truth from His Word. Secondly, I pray that we would hunger and thirst for this power from God to be the witness that we ought to be to a lost and dying world. God, please work your word into our hearts, and Father, we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think probably one of the biggest differences between the church in Acts and the church today is the lack of emphasis today on the biblical filling of the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, we've gone from the wildfire of the charismatics, which is doctrinal heresy, to the no fire of the carefully orthodox. We take a look at the book, church in the book of Acts, and we find these people preaching fearlessly the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not just preaching Fearlessly. But preaching with great power so that even thousands were saved at one time. It's absolutely amazing. We rejoice with a few saved every once in a while in most of our churches. And in too many of our churches, they can go through a year without one sinner walking the aisle to come to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And that in itself is a disgrace because the gospel of Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now we have the statement back in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. that said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 49 Jesus said to the disciples, he said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be... Now notice the terminology. Until ye be endued with power from on high. And then you get to Acts chapter 1. And notice Jesus again is speaking. He says in verse 5, For John truly baptized with water... But ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And so that we get an understanding of what he's talking about these two verses. Notice verse 8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. So then they go to prayer. Verse 14, he says, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Jesus, and just the few verses between verse 8 and verse 14, Jesus ascended up into heaven. The disciples returned back into Jerusalem where they prayed then for 10 days. On the 10th day, the day of Pentecost, the scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, we need to stop right here just to clarify. I don't have any doubt that most of you already understand this. We have gone over this because whether it be the Charismatics or the Pentecostals, they really major on the subject of tongues here. a uh, Tongues, which is really kind of a jibber-jabber to us, and that's not what was spoken on the day of Pentecost. The scripture is very plain, very clear as to what took place on the day of Pentecost when they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He says in verse 6, Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. The languages that they were speaking were the languages of men. It was not some kind of gibber jabber It was not something that was unintelligible. As a matter of fact, it was so these people from all these different nations could hear the gospel and get saved. That's what it's about. This passage is not about tongues as some kind of ecstatic utterance. This passage is about God filling people with power so they could witness of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a great crowd of lost people. As a matter of fact, you get to verse 8. They said, And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then we have a list of those languages Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, in Egypt and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes. Cretes and Arabians, here it is for the third time, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. So this was not some ecstatic utterance. Now, I do believe there's a miracle that takes place. Uh, For instance, these people, these Jews that are now believers, are speaking in languages that they did not know. That's the miracle here. But the point is, they may not, the speakers may not have known what they were speaking or what language they were speaking in. If you'd have asked them beforehand, they never could have passed the test. But God had them speak in those languages, the wonderful works of God. The people heard them. And here's the key to the day of Pentecost. Go down to verse 40. And with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them 3,000 souls. Now, friend, that's power. The news of Pentecost is first that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. And secondly, 3,000 lost people got born again. 3,000 lost people got saved. That's power. You go over to Acts chapter 4. Notice in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Scripture says, and when they had prayed. Now, remember, they had been threatened with beating and arrest. And they have come back and prayed. They have not prayed for God to spare them the beating or spared them. Ask God. They didn't ask God to spare them from being thrown in jail. Here's what they prayed. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own. But they had all things common. Now notice, and with great Power, again, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Over in Acts chapter 8. Notice beginning in verse 14. Acts chapter 8 and verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands upon them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Now, you understand, Simon just got saved. The Bible says a few verses earlier, matter of fact, verse 13, that Simon, Simon the sorcerer, uh, himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, here's a new convert whose life has been spent in the occult. He's just gotten saved. He sees this great power uh, in the apostles. And as they laid hands on the believers, they obviously were filled with the Holy Spirit of God too. And Simon says, hey, how much would it cost me to do this? I'd like to pay for it. Simon Peter rebukes him. It was a right rebuke. He rebukes him for what he said. You know, we need to understand, there are some Bible truths that are just holy and we are to stand upon those truths they are important here's a man who's learning some respect for the things of God before he thought that what he dealt with and dealing with Satan and dealing with the things of Satan he thought that all that stuff everything came by money but that's not the way it comes for God's work and for God's people the point is Jesus had announced that they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, if you were to get the commentators out, commentators are good at trying to explain this away and the filling of the Holy Spirit away. The reason they try to do that is because they've not experienced the filling of the Holy Ghost yet either. They are powerless and therefore, I've heard things like this, being filled with the Holy Spirit is being surrendered to God. You can be surrendered to God, not filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you just go to the passage, he used several different terms to describe the same thing. In Luke twenty-four forty-nine, he said, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And then when Jesus makes a similar comment in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence, so that they know what it is that he's talking about. He says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. With power they pray. When they prayed, they're filled with the Holy Ghost. They speak the word of God with boldness. 3,000 get saved. We have a couple of mentions in the scripture of them being filled with the Holy Spirit again. Now, please understand this. Every born-again believer is indwelt by the Holy Ghost of God. That's the promise. If you have not the Spirit of Christ... Ye are none of his. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. You see, he indwells the the individual believer. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and you're not your own, for you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. As soon as a person gets born again, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live within them. But the dwelling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is different from the fullness of the Spirit or the filling of the Spirit or being baptized with the Spirit or being, being endued with power. You see, the indwelling of the Spirit is once for good. The filling of the Holy Spirit can take place many different times in the life of a believer. Now, Understand, indwelling, by the way, John chapter 20, on the day of the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples and the Bible says he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Fifty days later, they're filled with the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost and that's when they went out to preach in power. Now, why the term? There can be no doubt that the crowd John was talking to John the Baptist was talking to back in Matthew chapter 3. The people he was talking to did not get the significance of what he was saying. That was not uncommon. He was talking to a group of people who were familiar with religion. They were familiar with religious terms. They were familiar with religious forms, but they knew nothing about religion's fire. True religion's fire. They're saying a number of things these people don't get. They even ask for some explanations in the book of Luke in John's account, and he gives them some explanations, but not about this matter with fire. Perhaps we can understand the idea of the fire, being baptized with fire, if we just think about what fire is said to do in the scripture. We can get an idea why John used it. Number one, fire reveals. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, and verse 13, he declares every man's work shall be made manifest for the day. I'm sorry, I lost the verse. I'm going to, have to turn over to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13. How many times I quote this? Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. He tries our works, the Holy Spirit of God does. When he fills a person with the Holy Spirit so that there is a difference between the wood, hay, and the stubble and the gold, silver, and precious stone that are found in their works. Notice their works shall be tried of what sort it is. And he says, if any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss, but uh, he himself shall be saved Yet so is by fire in verse 15. So it reveals, just as Christ is the light that reveals and condemns the darkness, John chapter 3, So the Holy Spirit is a fire that reveals. He quickly reveals um, the wood, the hay, and the stubble of our lives and reveals the gold, silver, and precious stone. Not only that, fire in the Scripture refines and purifies. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Look at the, the difference in the apostles after the filling of the Holy Spirit with what they were before the filling of the Holy Spirit. Those first 40 days after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had seen Christ crucified. They had seen the risen Christ. And yet you get to John chapter 21, where are they at? They're out fishing again. Peter's still defeated. They're not witnessing to anybody. Jesus has not even given them the instruction yet about tarrying in Jerusalem. You see, the reality is, Even though they've seen the resurrected Christ, they are still not walking around in power at all. That's one of the reasons he's going to tell them to pray. Now think about what they're going to have to do. The first crowd they're going to preach to is the very crowd that had Jesus arrested and that cried for him to be crucified. And now he's going to go out and preach. He's going to talk about how they were guilty of putting him to death. That it was their wicked sin. They had rejected Christ. They, he, he's not going to have a New Testament. He has the New Testament message. But he's not going to be able, be able to carry his pocket New Testament. And say here turn to Romans chapter 3. Hadn't been written yet. How in the world is he going to convince these people. That they need what he has. How is he going to convince them. That the word that he is preaching is the truth. That they need to be born again. They said men and brethren. What must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Why didn't they stone him? Why are they getting this? 3,000 people get it when he says it. Why? Not because Peter was a great orator, but because he was filled with the Spirit of God. If we're going to do a work for God, which is a spiritual work, we need his power. I got news for you. There are a lot of charlatans out there that can sound very, and I'm I'm using the term simply as an adjective, very charismatic. They're very appealing. They've got a soft tongue. They can get themselves a crowd, but getting a crowd is not getting people saved. To get them saved, the Holy Spirit of God has got to take the Word of God into their hearts and deal with them. Fire refines, it purifies, and it consumes. Jesus said of John the Baptist in John 5:35, "He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. It consumes." Paul would say in Philippians chapter two and verse eight, "But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ." Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And then he says in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. And then in verse 14, he says, Brethren, verse 13, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. In Christ Jesus. Totally surrendered, totally consumed to the work of God and to the will of God. It's not about a name. It's not about popularity. It's about bringing souls to Jesus Christ. A person filled with the Holy Spirit of God is going to be consumed in getting the gospel out. John Wesley's advice to his preacher boys was set yourself on fire and people will come out to watch you burn. And there's a lot of spiritual truth found in that. Not only that, fire illuminates. Bible says of the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Why is that important? Because first Corinthians 2.14 declares, for the natural man receiveth not the things concerning the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Now you see, the natural man doesn't get it unless the Holy Spirit of God makes it plain to his heart. Now he he can still reject Christ. He can still turn from the Savior. But he's not even going to be able to turn to God without the Holy Spirit of God doing a work in his heart. We need his power in all things. You know, I believe, for instance, with our special singers in our choir, I believe it's very important that they practice. You ought to want to do the best job you can do. But I got news for you. If you're just a dried, deadhead Christian, you're not on fire for him, you don't have the filling of the Holy Spirit, it's just going to be another nice song. You want the song you sing to speak to hearts. Then, singer, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need his power. Again, I'm not talking about speaking in some ecstatic utterance. I'm talking about being filled with his power. The kind of power that's talked about by the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. Obviously, fire also warms. I've seen it over and over again where the word of God, when it begins to take effect in a person's life, you begin to see a difference. Over in Acts chapter 4, take a look at it. In verses 12 and 13, Peter's preaching, first of all, in verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Now notice the next verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Can you imagine that? Here were people that literally were antagonistic toward the message that they had preached, they were antagonistic toward what they had done. But after hearing them, filled with the Spirit of God, after hearing them, these people, man, they're warm to it. They they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they took knowledge. They had been with Jesus. Now, where would they have gotten that from? That's the Spirit of God working in them. Because who does does the Spirit of God glorify? According to John 16 and verse 14, it glorifies Jesus. That's what he does. That's his job. He glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. So fire warms. Not only that, fire imparts energy and generates power and motion. Even in the passage that we read early on when it said that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Spirit, again he says, but ye shall receive power. You know, you can have gas in the tank, but if that engine's not not clicking, somewhere the spark plug's not working, there's no fire, you're going nowhere. And there are an awful lot of churches meeting today with absolutely no fire whatsoever. And this isn't a fire that's drummed up with drums or drummed up with electric guitars or drummed up with people jumping up and down like a bunch of heathen around a campfire. Man, we're talking about a fire that comes straight from God. And always in the scripture. When a person is mentioned as being filled with the Holy Spirit, always it is for one of two reasons. Check it out every time. Get your concordance, look it up. Every time it's either for testimony or for service. Every time for testimony or for service, no exceptions whatsoever throughout the scripture. Christians filled with the Holy Spirit find an energy to go I mean, they can't wait to get to the next one to talk to when they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The great need of believers today is this baptism with fire. And I know people don't like the term because it's been stolen, really, by the charismatics. I mean, Baptists used to preach on being baptized with fire long before the first charismatic ever came around. Because they recognized we needed and we need God's power. Now, how received? Notice the scripture said, John said, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's important to understand that this is his work, not ours. And he shall baptize you. It is something that God does, not you. Yes, there are things that we are supposed to do, but he is the one who sends the fire in his time and in his way. Think about it. Those disciples had been in the upper room praying in Acts chapter 1. They prayed for 10 days. Why didn't he fill them after the first day? Why didn't he fill them after the second day? That's up to him, his timing. You understand? I mean, there are a lot of people, they want the filling of the Holy Spirit so that they can have the experience. It's not about having an experience. It's about being able to do the work of God in power. That's what it's about. If you're just trying to find another experience so that, you know, you feel a little tingle running through your bones and it's something that just lifts you up, makes you want to shout. uh, Listen, you can do that without the filling of the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to have his power, you need the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Number one, they recognize their need and they recognize their need on the basis of the word of God. Again, Jesus spoke to them in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So they obey Jesus, they go to prayer. Now, one of the things he tells them to do, Mark 16, 15, is go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, think about having to reach the entire world. At that time, there were not churches on every continent. There were not churches in every city. Matter of fact, all there was was a few believers that were meeting at that time in Jerusalem. A far cry from all the world. What a mammoth job this is going to be. They've not even seen a globe yet. To know or have any idea how big around this earth is. They had no idea how many people groups or language groups they were. Jesus gave them what seems to be an impossible task. And as far as they know, they're the ones right there. They are the ones that are required to meet what Jesus told them to do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Well, how are you even going to reach Jerusalem? There are not that many believers. They don't have a New Testament yet. They need his power. So they recognize their need. Now, we have a New Testament we can carry. They didn't. But it's still his work. His spirit must convince these lost people that they're lost. Most people are like I was before I got saved. I thought my good works would take me to heaven. A lot of you people are like that as well. You thought your good works would take you to heaven. Or you thought your religion would take you to heaven. But religion doesn't take anyone to heaven. Only Christ saves people. Only Christ takes people to heaven. You must be saved through him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Scripture says, and they didn't have Romans 1, 16 yet, but in Romans 1, 16, he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Hebrews hadn't been written yet either by this particular time by Acts chapter 1. But Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So you've got the power unto salvation that the gospel is that power. The word of God is powerful to deep reach far deeper than just the ears of man, but down into the heart. If the Christian would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God and he's attending under the preaching of the Word of God, man, something's got to give. Something's got to happen. And it does. I remember when I began to realize that something was missing. I was giving the gospel out a lot. Wasn't seeing hardly anybody get saved. Matter of fact, we went 10 months Saw one adult get born again. Saw a couple of kids that also made professions of faith. I got burdened about that. I read John R. Rice's book on the power of Pentecost. Now, I cheated. I I read the last couple chapters first. And uh, I'll tell you what, the last couple chapters of that book, Power of Pentecost, dealing with great Christians, great preachers, who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that stirred me up. Because what he described in those chapters, was exactly what you see in the book of Acts in the lives of some great preachers. They were not all filled on the day of their salvation. Only a couple were, as a matter of fact. Uh, The others were filled later on. But of course, all of them were indwelt by the Spirit of God the very moment that they got saved. But that stirred me up. I went through the book. Matter of fact, if you get the book, Power of Pentecost, you can forget about When the church started, you don't even need to read that chapter. Or you don't really even need to read the chapter dealing with uh, the charismatics. They're long chapters. I'm talking about if you're hungering and thirsting for God's power so that you can be the witness that God wants you to be, that book will stir your heart. It'll bless your soul. And then I got a hold of another book by R.A. Torrey, The Holy Spirit, Who He Is and What He Does. Now, R.A. Torrey was the number two man uh, behind D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody often would have Dr. Torrey, when he would be in special meetings, preach on the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, Torrey wrote a number of books. He had another as to why God used D.L. Moody, which is very powerful as well. I got news for you. Those great preachers of old, they didn't shy away from talking about the Holy Spirit are relying on the Holy Spirit of God in their witnessing and in their preaching. We desperately need Him. And here's another thing about these disciples. Not only did they recognize their need, but they believed it was for them. Tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Imagine praying one day, nothing's happened. One day! Praying a whole day. Nothing happens. Second day, they're praying again. And third day, they're praying again. Fourth day, they're praying again. Fifth day, they're praying again. They don't give up on it. On the 10th day, the day of Pentecost, they pray and God fills them. God could have gone 11 days, 12 days, 13 days. I don't know. But they wanted what God said they were to have. And it was after that they would receive power so that they could be witnesses wherever they would be at in the world. They really desired it. And you can tell that by this time in prayer. God promised in the Old Testament in Isaiah 44 and verse 3 I will pour water on him who is thirsty, and I will pour floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. You ask, preacher, how do you know? Just look how long they prayed. That's how I know that they really desired what Jesus told them that he wanted them to have. And they continued steadfastly in prayer. Remember, oh, we could go to a number of scripture even in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 about God filling the temple under Solomon, uh, but we'll not take the time to go there tonight. They prayed, then fire, then they were witnesses. I mean, exactly like Jesus said. He said, Ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. It didn't say, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall run the pews. Didn't say that. Didn't say that ye shall uh, receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall roll on the floor acting like drunk people. Doesn't say that. And they didn't do that. There's no record of them doing that. At all. And we say we believe the Bible. It's amazing how many believers are scared to death of this. Now it is true they were wholly surrendered to the will of God. I mean, after all, I don't know what jobs they'd have had. Some of them were fishermen, we know, but definitely not all of them. But to take 10 solid days to pray. That means they're not doing any work but praying. They're together in one accord and they're praying. They are surrendered to the will of God not only to pray but to go out to the same crowd that killed Jesus and witness to them when God does what Jesus said would happen. And they expected it. Matter of fact, if you read R.A. Torrey's book on the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does, he goes into great detail and he makes this plain. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14 that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Does God want us filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled With the Spirit. It's imperative. It is a command. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. I really don't think you have to ask a person if they're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You'll have a pretty good idea that they already are. By what takes place. By the way, let me say about Stephen. Acts chapter 6 Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit when he begins to preach to that Jewish crowd that was before him, those Jewish leaders. He preaches, they come under great conviction, but they don't get saved, they stone him to death. You know, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, everybody's not going to get saved. There'll be a bunch that'll get saved, but there'll also be some people who'll get extra mad at you. Because the Spirit of God puts them under conviction. And many don't like it. So you don't have to say, oh, I must have failed. These people got, Stephen didn't fail. He gave the truth. And I believe from the way the scripture is written, when you get to Acts chapter 8, that Saul of Tarsus, who became the apostle Paul, that that spirit-filled message he heard was that ox goad that continued to stick him so that he would come to the Savior later on. And look what the apostle Paul did. Now, how is it manifested? If you were asked the Charismatics and the Pentecostals, they would say by speaking in tongues. But yet the definition of tongues is obviously in Acts chapter 2, three times. It's simply the languages of men. That's it. The languages of men. By the way, just a side light. Let let, let me put a little parentheses here and go over to Romans chapter 8 just a moment. I've heard people say, well, you know, this speaking in tongues, that's my prayer language. And they try to use verse 26 of Romans chapter 8. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I want you to underline which cannot be uttered. I want you to get that. If you can utter it, it's not this. You understand? With groanings which cannot be uttered. And also understand this, that every time an angel spoke in the Bible, he spoke in the language of the people that he was talking to. Every time. If you talk about a language from heaven, well, why is it the angels didn't speak in it? The angels spoke in the language of the people they're talking to. So we have really gotten messed up in that we have allowed the charismatics to define tongues, and that's not close to being biblical at all. So let me back up again here. Uh, You ask, of the false spirit grace crowd. And their answer would be that when you're filled with the spirit of God, you'll manifest the fruit of the spirit. I really, is that what happened here? Now, when they talk about the fruit of the spirit, they're only talking about Galatians chapter five, verses 22 and 23 the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such. There is no law. That's not the only time the fruit of the spirit is mentioned in our Bible. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 5 and verse 9, he says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Whoa, what about that? Love and truth go together. Once you get that, love and truth go together. And it's amazing how a lot of these folks are willing to compromise truth because they say they love someone. So we're going to be easy. We're going to to fudge a little on the truth. No, Jesus said, they that worship him, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in what? Truth. Truth of the word of God. Uh, Get that. Now, Peter preaches the truth. Filled with the spirit of God, and he comes out and he tells him in Acts chapter 2, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. How loving is that? And then again in chapter 3, he says basically the same thing to him again. Again in Acts chapter 4. I mean, he nailed him down. You're guilty. Now, of course, the definition they put on the fruit of the Spirit is off, and that's where the problem is. Now, and you could look at verses 22 and 23 of Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, 12 through 15, chapter 4, 8 through 10. And then Stephen, Stephen was very blunt in his message. Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53. Peter again in Acts chapter 8. And again, Paul in Acts chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. So how is the filling of the Spirit of God manifested? Witnessing with boldness and with power. Again, look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, clear statement. Verse 31 when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with what? Boldness. You're filled with the Spirit of God, man. You're going to talk to people. It's going to come out. You hardly can't keep it from coming out. Notice verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And you say, preacher, how is that maintained then? Well, first of all, in study of the word of God. Why is that? Well, God says in Jeremiah twenty three twenty nine, is not my word like a fire and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces. Colossians three sixteen, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Ephesians chapter five, verses 18 and 19. I mean, you gotta be a student of the book. You're not gonna stay filled with the Holy Spirit if you're not in God's word. Then you'll be a student of the book. It won't be something that you just finally dust off and bring to church on Sunday. It'll be a book that you're in every day, that you're reading. Pray for God's power. The disciples did over and over again. They didn't just pray before Pentecost. They prayed again for filling after Pentecost. And God blessed that. And be surrendered to the mind of Christ. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus... Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. That the most important thing to you is getting the gospel out to a lost world. Have the mind of Christ for the lost. You say, preacher, I I just don't think I can go out and witness like that. No, not in yourself, you can't. But guess what? Filled with the Holy Spirit, you will. Dr. Rice, thank God I had a privilege a few times to get to hear him preach before he went on to glory. He was not an impressive preacher. It was really, I was kind of shocked the first time I heard him. But when he spoke... He spoke with power. I mean, there was just something about it. I remember there was a, a businessman who came to Tennessee Temple. This man, when he first met Dr. Robertson, this guy had, as a matter of fact, I think Dr. Robertson met him at the Union Gospel Mission there. Uh, he had come out. He was down and out. It was bad, and, and Dr. Robertson took him in. Uh, took care of him a little bit, and then sent him off. He became an insurance man who literally made millions upon millions of dollars. And I can't remember his last name. Do you remember it? I'll bet Brother Weeks, if he was here, I'll bet he'd remember the man's name. But he had the man come back and speak in chapel. And when the guy began to speak, I thought, you know, he's not a real good speaker. But by the end of the message, he may not have been a good speaker. But it was obvious that the Spirit of God was on him. And man, I'll tell you, that dealt with my heart. Yeah, we like certain preachers because they can be funny. We like preachers because they can be entertaining. We like preachers for a a number of things. But the truth is, if we're not going to have God's power upon us, then we're wasting an awful lot of time. It's not just for preachers. It's for every Christian to be filled with the Spirit of God. Ask Him. Matter of fact, get a hold of the two books that I mentioned. There are others out there, but these are really good. They'll keep you straight. Now, you get into the false doctrine of this ecstatic tongues type thing, you get away from the Scripture on that, then you're headed to all kinds of other problems as well. But understand, you read some of these people and they say, well, you know, being baptized with the Spirit, that's being put into the body of Christ. Well, the Spirit does put us into the body of Christ, but uh, that's not what Jesus was talking about here. They were already in the body of Christ. When he breathed on them and said, receive you the Holy Ghost, we know the Holy Spirit came in and indwelled them at that time. Don't be afraid of God's terms just because we don't find hardly anybody using them today. They're still in the Scripture. To be endued with power from on high. Here it is, the 40th year of Madison Baptist Church this year. The 40th year. I'd like for us to make an impact upon this influx of people coming into Madison to reach them with the gospel of Christ. To do that, it's not programs and it's not planning. And I'm for programs and planning. I'm not against that. It's got to be God's power. Got to be God's power when they come in and hear Sunday school lessons taught. We need God's power. When they hear preaching, we need God's power. We need to be a people walking in the power of the Spirit of God so that we can be the witnesses we ought to be to all that are about us. Let's pray. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would hunger and thirst after this. This is so vital. It's clear. And I think we explain it away most of the time because we're not experiencing it ourselves right now. God, challenge our hearts. This is according to your will. We know that. You're the one who does that baptizing with the Spirit. But we ought to seek your face pleading with you for your power. There may be some already tonight who know of things in their life that would keep them from being filled with the Spirit of God. I pray they'd come and confess those things and get them right with you. But Lord, use us, not for our glory, but so that we may continue to glorify our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Have your way in our heart tonight. If there's one without Jesus as Savior, we pray they'd come to Christ and be born again tonight. For believers, challenge us, we pray. In Jesus' name I ask it.